I had not yet heard about that earthquake. Was that this morning? Was that earthquake today, Marlene? So I hope we will all uh, remember them. It's a, it's a frightening thing. And as you know, uh, earthquakes that are particular in Japan, they can be, have some pretty rough ones, as California well knows. Um, this morning, as we are going to open the Word, I'm going to invite you to open to 1 Samuel chapter 3 with me this morning. Um, 1 Samuel chapter 3 is uh, it's the beginning of the book of Samuel. Um, this book is a, uh, a story about him. That's kind of what the title's indicating, that this story starts us off with a transition, an important transition between the time when Israel is a, uh, a, a theocracy, which means it is being led by God. God is the king of Israel, and therefore Israel's in the state of theocracy. And if you remember the times before this, Joshua judges up to this point. You keep seeing God raise up a prophet, raise up a leader from among the people to help them with whatever their situation is. They usually come back to God during that time and they follow God and they have a a revival again in their nation and they they get aligned with God and then that person dies, something else happens and that person strays and then Israel seems to stray. The tribalism of Israel takes over and they begin to go off in their own directions and they end up in problems and then they end up have having one of the nations come back in and start attacking them because the boundaries that God puts around them begin to shrink, begin to shrivel. When they walk away from God, he backs away from some of that protection. In comes another nation. They get attacked again. God raises up somebody to push that nation back, to battle against that nation, reestablishes Israel's uh, sovereignty over its land. They follow that person. And then this happens again and 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 again. And that's the way things go up until this moment. And in this moment, we have an interesting transition taking place. Um, uh, If you have your Bible open to chapter 3, I'm going to actually start with a a verse that's going to be on the screen. It's chapter chapter 2, verse 12, just to get a a setting in our mind, just get an idea in our mind about what we're dealing with. It says simply this, Now, the sons of Eli were worthless men. This is a New American Standard translation. They were worthless men. The sons of Eli were worthless men, and they did not know the Lord. So let me give you a little bit of background. These two guys' names are Hophni and Phinehas. Not important unless you're in a Bible trivia game. Hophni and Phinehas are the sons of the high priest Eli. The high priest is the one who's supposed to be leading the people and keeping them going towards God. He's the one who's supposed to be guiding them and uh, helping, helping maintain their relationship with God. His sons are no accounts. His sons are in all sorts of mess there. They take for granted their priestly office. Um, they are doing unseemly things there at the temple. There's just a lot of sideways thinking and bad things being done by these guys. And the, the text here, the, the description gives us an understanding of where Israel is. Eli is not keeping his sons focused on God. The one who is the high priest of the land has lost his direction. And his sons, they're not even following the Lord. They did not, the Bible says, they did not know the Lord. They had not yet gotten to know God. They're unaware of God. They're unaware of, of God's desires for them. He, they're 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 a mess. And as the New, New American Standard says, they are worthless. Their worthlessness is particularly as priests. As priests, they are actually pointing the people in the wrong direction. 
That's where they find themselves as we open the text. As, we, as Israel is about to transfer their allegiance to move from, from a theocracy, they're going to move to a king. And we'll see that develop over First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. You see how, how, whether or not that works out as well. If you've read ahead, you already know. But I want to see this verse in contrast with the beginning of chapter 3. Chapter 3 says, Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. So we have to get a little background on Hophni and Phinehas and Eli. Well, let's give you a little bit of background on Samuel. Samuel is another one of those biblical miracle children. You know, the Bible has a few of them. You know, uh, uh, the, for whatever reason, the mother isn't able to uh, give birth to a child. They pray, they get an answer, and a child is born. That's happened with his mother. His mother gave birth to him after praying for him. And after he, actually, after she has him, uh, she ends up with five more children beyond him. However, when she weans him, so at biblical times, we're talking two or three years. Um, this is not the La Leche League. This is just a fact and a need. Um, you didn't have baby food at the time. There wasn't a large uh, amount of produce available. You couldn't just always have some frozen peaches in your fridge to grind up and give to your baby. And so they, they tended to take, take their, uh, to nurse their children for a longer period. So probably two or three years old is when he is weaned. Sometime after that, before probably you would think of him as a middle elementary kid. So probably a young elementary student. First, second grade. Third grade is a long shot. He is taken to the priest. An offering is made. And because he is a child, a gift, to the, a gift from the Lord to her, his mother decides to gift him back to God. So she goes to Eli. Now, think about it for a second. How's Eli doing as a dad? He's not doing very well, is he? He's not doing well at all. She decides to let this man take care of her baby boy. Now, honestly, if all of us were to give, given a vote in this, we would probably think, this is, mal- this is parental malpractice. You shouldn't be doing this to your child. But that's what happens. She takes him to Eli and lets him become Eli's assistant. All the Bible tells us about that period is about the faithfulness of Samuel. Samuel somehow, before this period, take, before this arrives, is taught by his parents that he's a special child. They're taught, they teach him that he's supposed to be, when he goes to the temple, focus, do what Eli tells you, be a good boy, those kinds of things. His mom sees him once a year. Ladies, if you had to give away, say, your, say your eight-year-old child, you had to put him in the hands of a priest who's done a really terrible job with his sons because they're worthless, and... That guy is watching your kid and you get to see him once a year. Anybody in on that deal? Anybody ready to just do that? Kind of maybe depend on how cranky your eight-year-old is, right? But I don't think most people would do it. Most of us would never think of doing that. But that's the situation. Samuel continues in his role as he's beginning to grow up. And the next time we pick him up, he's probably, it's hard to say, he's probably a young teen, maybe mid-teen. So he's been at Eli's side now for some years. Every year his mom shows up. She brings him a new robe that will fit him as he's a growing boy. Um, it's probably, those of you who remember when you were growing fast, your mom would buy your clothes too big. That's probably the deal. So he's got, you know, the big, it's, it's a little bulky at the, at the beginning. By the end of the time, it's a little tight. But it's designed to make it work for a year. And so every year she, 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 she literally makes him a new tunic. And that becomes his for that year. She comes back the following year 
and and gives them a new one each time. I bet those were great reunion moments. Don't you think if you only got to see your kid once a year, you would have you would have good things to say. You would have a heart full of things to say to that child. I would imagine that, that those days or week or so that she gets to spend with her son once a year are really significant. Probably really significant in the helping and the anchoring of that child in his faith and in his walk with God. Okay, so probably now when we see him next, he's maybe in his teens somewhere. Before we see him, the Bible also tells us something about the nation of Israel. It says, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Um, there was not wide, there was no widespread revelation. So the word of the Lord to the people of Israel is kind of rare in those days, which tells you there have been times when the word of the Lord was fairly prevalent. It was fairly common. But at this point, it's pretty rare. It's not usual for people to hear from the Lord. And they're trying to set us up to understand what we're dealing with, where we are in Israel's history. Is Israel doing well or is Israel doing poorly? Are they doing well like when they were following some of those those really good priestly leaders, prophetic leaders before when they were just following after God? Or have things begun to drift? It appears from the text that Israel has begun to drift. Eli's sons, worthless. The, The voice of the Lord, pretty rare. So Israel has probably begun to drift away from God, from what we can see, the little bit we can see in the text. Verses 2 to 4. And it came to pass at that time, while Eli was lying down in his place. So where's Eli? He's in bed. He's lying down in his spot. He's laying down. He's, He's in bed. When his eyes had begun to grow dim, this is not about him sleeping. It's just that he's beginning to lose his sight. That he could not see. And before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark was, and while Samuel was lying lying down, that the Lord called Samuel. And he answered, Here I am. It's 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 a simple piece of the story, but don't miss it. The here I am answer to every time he gets called. You watch through the story. It's when Eli calls him at the end of the story, here I am is his answer. The here I am that he gives here is his habit of an answer. When he is called, he answers, here I am. He doesn't try to hide. He doesn't try to avoid. He tries, doesn't try to get away. My, one of my boys was in the Navy, and he tells me that most of the guys on the ship are looking for a place to hide all day long. So they're doing their work, watching for places to hide. And they would find places where no one would find them. And that was the whole point. Find a place back in a corner somewhere where after you've gotten your work signed off from the, from the chief, you can go there and sleep the rest of the day. That is not the practice of this young man. His practice is, when I'm called, I answer. When I'm called upon, I answer. When I'm called upon, I answer. If you think about trying to hear the voice of the Lord as he was in a time when it's rare, here I am is a good answer. We live in a time when it seems the voice of the Lord is pretty rare. To be able to hear the voice of the Lord in those times, here I am is a pretty good answer. When you're struggling, when you're, when you're not sure, when, when that kind of voices that are all around us are shouting everything else, when you hear someone call on you, when you hear the voice calling out, here I am, it's a good, good place to start. It's a sense of loyalty. It's a sense of responsibility. You're responding when you're called. Those, th- that's what this is here. This is Eli's, or, or this, is, this is Samuel's habit in the midst of Eli's messed up family. You see, Samuel knows what Hophni and Phineas are doing. Phineas are doing. Samuel knows what kind of guys these are. 
But he decides not to be one. Brought up by his parents? Those annual meetings with his mom and dad? I don't know. But for whatever reason, this young man is different from those whom he should, by all rights, be following. The kids most close to his age are Eli's sons. They're his most reasonable example, but he doesn't follow. Instead, he stays on task. He stays on focus. And when he is called, he answers with a simple phrase, Here I am. Here I am. Here I am. So he ran to Eli. Get the phrase, ran. He's asleep. The, the, the tabernacle lights, the lights that are left on during the night. This isn't talking about the seven-sided candlestick. This is just lights. They, they would keep some lights lit in the tabernacle during the night for the priests to move around. This is talking about those candles that are on at night. Those candles, those lamps have not yet burned out. It's, think about it as the wee hours of the morning. That, that time of the morning when it's pretty dark, when you're not really in a situation where, you know, you can see yet. In fact, sometimes it's darkest because the moon has set that time of the, that time of the morning. So it's, it's early, early, early in the morning. He hears someone say, Samuel. He says, here I am. He gets up and he runs to Eli's side. Eli's getting to be an elderly man. He can barely see. In the middle of the night like this, it's not a good time for Eli to get up and stumble around the tabernacle. He's going to hurt himself. So he gets up and he runs to see what he can do to help out Samuel, or to help out Eli. He arrives at Eli's side and he says, Eli, here I am. You called me. Eli says, no, no, I didn't call you. Now put yourself, put yourself in Eli's spot. You're in your bed. You're sound asleep. You don't know anything about what's going on. Suddenly in, ruck, in runs this teenager and says, hey, you, you called me. I, I'm right here. No, buddy, I didn't call you. Go back. Lie down. I didn't call you. So imagine what, what's going on now, Samuel. Put your, put your, imaginary, your imagination hat on here for a bit. So how, is your, how are you going back to your bed if you're... If you're Eli, if you're Samuel in this, I'm going to mess these names up all day. If you're Samuel in this story, if you're, how are you going back to bed? You're like, man, I, I, was I dreaming? I thought I heard something. I don't know. Eli says he didn't call me. It, it, okay. Goes back, crawls into his bed, pulls up his blankie. He's got the one from his mom with the cowboys painted on it. That one, he's laying there. He pulls it up around his chin. Eli on the other side is lying in his bed too, going, stupid kid. <sighs> Woke me up. I was sleeping so well tries the same thing. He's fluffing the pillow. He's pulling up his blanket. He's getting himself all comfortable. Samuel falls back asleep. Eli falls back to sleep. It's still early in the morning. Then the Lord comes again and he calls out, Samuel. So Samuel arose and he went to Eli and he said, here I am. You called me and, and, and Eli answers, I didn't call you, my son. Go lie down. I have a dog who gets me up at night. I try to avoid it. I try to let my wife be the one who gets up. But I hear him long before she does. Our dog doesn't get up and bark or scratch the window. He gets up and hits the blinds. And I'll hear the little blinds tapping against each other. Hits them again. If you don't get up soon enough, he just starts hitting the blinds, hitting the blinds, hitting the blinds. And it wakes me up. Annoyed, I get out of bed and let him out. Sometimes I just say, lay down. He goes and lays down. A few minutes later, he hits the blinds again. Hits the blinds again. I know this dog can hold it all night long. 
I know he can. He just doesn't want to. So if I'm Eli, second time around, here I am, buddy, I just fell asleep again. I didn't call you. Go lie down. Wouldn't your second round be a little more firm? Would you be, are, are you the person who get woke, gets awakened twice in the middle of the night and can fold your hands peacefully and go, ah, oh, sweetheart, just relax. Go lie down. I didn't call you. If you are, God bless you. May your tribe increase. I don't think that was happening. I think Eli said, go lay down. I didn't call you. Go lay down. Okay. We hours in the morning. Eli pulls up his blanket and tries to go back to sleep. Samuel goes into the other room. And he thinks, man, I do not get it. I'm having even the, the weirdest dream, but I think I'm, I, I, I think I'm hearing things. You think Eli begins to, or <laughs> think Samuel begins to question his sanity at the moment? What is going on with me? Is it something I ate? Samuel then goes back to sleep. But Samuel didn't know the Lord either yet. Samuel had never heard the voice of the Lord, so there was nothing for him to recognize. The voice of God speaking to him just sounded like Eli's voice as far as he was concerned. He couldn't distinguish these things. I want to I speak to you about calling. I want to speak to you about when God speaks to you. I want to speak to you about when God speaks to you. Because when God is speaking to you, very often you can mistake it for something else. You have to learn to discern God's voice. Spending time in your Bible, spending time in prayer, spending time focusing on discovering that voice of God, that will help you learn it. And if you're a young person, I specifically, especially when I talk to you, put in the effort to learn it. Put in the effort to learn it. Because when God wants to speak to you and touch you and tell you something, it's amazing. Giving Him the opportunity, one of the ways that happens is by you reading your Bible, praying, getting used to listening for the voice of God. Because He will speak to you. He will speak to you. God will tell you things. He will show you things. Lots of different processes. We don't have time to get into them today. But I want you to understand the text is saying he hadn't heard the Lord before. He doesn't recognize the voice of the Lord yet. So he's going back to bed going, man, I don't get it. I, I, don't, I don't understand. I don't understand. God does not always call the equipped. But he always equips the called. Our guy Samuel's not ready yet. He doesn't know the voice of the Lord. He doesn't know how to discern when God is speaking to him. How is he going to be a prophet of God if he does not know how to recognize the voice of the Lord versus the voice of Eli? How is he going to be a prophet who represents God? This could be a disqualifying offense. But God never calls the equipped. He always equips the called. None of us are actually fit for what we're called to. No one is fit for what they are called to. Doesn't matter who you're thinking about right now. Don't, don't put an exception on that rule. There is no exception to it. All of us, required by being called, all of us, required by being called, are forced to recognize our inability. It is in the recognition of that inability that we are willing to learn. Got it? Did, did that go by too fast? It's in the recognition of our inability 
that we put ourselves in the hand of God and are willing, therefore, to learn. He's equipping us, but he can only equip those who desire to be equipped. If we think we have it wired, we don't need his help. And we're not going to listen to the way he's calling, the way he's equipping. So Samuel goes back. He also tries to lie down. He doesn't recognize this voice as any different from what he's heard before in the night. He has heard Eli before. He's gotten up to help Eli before. He thinks this is the same pattern that he's always had. But it's starting to bug him two times down. Somebody change that for me. Thank you. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he arose. He went to Eli. Now, how do you think this goes now? When he goes to Eli the third time, do you think he's as, uh, as forceful as he was the first two times? Or even the first time? You think he's going into Eli's room now, giving Eli a little bit of a, okay, sorry to bother you again, but I heard you call me. I, I did. I, I, I laid awake until I heard the voice again, and I heard it again. It was you calling me. Here I am. What do you need? What, what, do you, what do you want? You did call me. I heard you call me. Finally, Eli's awake enough. Probably didn't even fall asleep himself. You know how it is. He had awakened two or three times in the early morning. It's really tough to go back to sleep, stinking dog. So Eli's probably been laying awake as well. Now, it's an interesting time for Eli because Eli's man, God's man. Eli's the priest of Israel. Eli's the one who's supposed to hear the voice of God. He's the one who God is supposed to be talking to. And yet God is talking to this kid who doesn't even know God yet. Can't discern God's voice from anybody else's voice. It would be very easy at this moment for Eli to become perturbed about this. To be upset by the fact that he's not getting the word. But he doesn't. For all of Eli's failures, there's some spiritual maturity in this guy. He struggles with some parts of his life. And you know this is the way it works, right? You struggle in some parts of your life and you better in other parts of your life. Eli in this next moment proves his mettle to me. And I don't know. I'm not picking winners and losers in the salvation story. But this makes me think that Eli has a relationship with God that's making a difference in his life. I'm giving away the next part of the, parts of the story, but allow me to uh, carry on. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. So who's the first one to recognize the voice? Is it the kid? Or is it the old man? Kids. Anybody younger than me? Okay. You know who you are. You need to have somebody in your life who's further down the road on their walk with God. Because they will know things and recognize things that you don't know and can't recognize. All of us, no matter where we are in our life, that includes me, that includes those of us who are more, have more age on us, we need to have people who are further down the road in, the road in their walk with God than we are. Now, in rare Listen carefully. In rare moments, that person can be younger than you. It's very rare, but it's possible that somebody, you came into your faith late, 
They've got into their faith early. Somebody your age or younger, then you can actually be this kind of guide. But normally it's someone older than you because it's not just spiritual maturity, though that is very important. It's spiritual maturity plus age, experience, walk. There's the walk with God and there's the walk on the planet. Both of those add up to help. You need some people in your life like that. Eli perceived, Eli perceived what the kid couldn't see. Eli perceived that it was the Lord speaking to the boy. You should always have someone in your life that is further along the road than you are in their walk. Always having somebody in your life. So if you're one of the people right now who's saying, I don't have that person. You need to start thinking about who that would be. It could be a relative. It could be a, a parent, a grandparent. It could be an uncle, an auntie. It could be, your, par- it could be your, 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 your friend from school if they have gone farther down the walk than you are. Be thinking about who that might be in your life because we need to be able to pick up the phone and say, I think I'm hearing the voice of the Lord in my life, but I'm not sure. Especially in the, the occasion like that. When we think we're hearing God's voice, to be able to call somebody who can help guide us and say, I think I'm hearing God's call on my life, but I'm not sure. I remember the long, long, long hours of fighting against God on the call for my life. When God is calling me into ministry, I am spending, I I don't remember how many years it was, it's at least a couple of years, might have been three, where I am saying to God, I don't want to do this. I am not interested in that job. I do not want to do this. And what was interesting to me in that process was my fight, my push, my push back against God over and over and over again. I keep coming up to that moment where I will talk to some adult. I was, I was a late teen at the time. I talked to some adult. And those adults kept giving me the same message. Those adults kept saying to me, well, I think you'd be good at this. I think this is something God may be calling you and qualifying you to do. And every time I'd go back to my stubbornness spot and say, but I don't want to do this job, God. I would sometimes tell them, but I don't, that's not my plan. I have other plans for my life. But those adults kept pushing me back towards what God was calling me to because they could see in me potential I couldn't see. They could understand that God calls people before they are equipped for the job because I knew I was unqualified. I was barely Christian at the time. You got to understand, I preached the first time before I was Christian. I was barely Christian when God put the, t- put the call on my life for this. And I thought, you know, it's just early Christian, you know, first love sort of reaction. This is probably not even God. It's some other thing. Guy calls me aside. Takes me into this sort of little space. It would be like taking me over to the corner over there. I sit down on the steps. He stands up and he says to me, God, or I make a practice of not doing this because I think preachers ruin kids' lives by telling them they should be pastors when they shouldn't be. He looked at me and he said, God has been speaking to me to tell you that you should consider becoming a pastor. I had been praying for, to God to send me somebody I didn't know, which is a dumb prayer, but God sometimes answers dumb prayers too. Send somebody I didn't know to confirm the call that I felt. And basically at that point, I was stuck. I couldn't get out anymore because he had answered my prayers straight up. I tried one more time, but this isn't the story. The point is, this man was more than twice my age. He had been a long time following God. And he heard the voice of God 
and perceived it on my behalf. That's what happened to Eli. Eli realized after the third time of being awakened in the morning, I get it. The kid has heard from God. Eli's instructions are very interesting. Eli doesn't give him a bunch of sort of go, you know, get some of the holy water out of the tank and wash yourself, go to the labor. Nothing. Nothing. He simply tells him, go back to your business. Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. And it shall be, catch the next word, if, go where you're supposed to be. Go back to where you saw him last. Go back to that spot. Rest in that spot. And if he speaks again, don't come and talk to me. Answer him. Don't come and talk to me. Answer him. If he speaks to you again, then your answer is, speak, Lord. For your servant hears. He says, I want you then to just say this. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Samuel went and laid down. Do you think he went to sleep? If you don't put your imagination in your Bible, it gets very black and white and boring. Do you think he went to sleep? No. Would you go to sleep? He goes and puts himself down on his bed and he waits <laughs> anxiously, looking at the ceiling. Wondering what's going on. He can't go to sleep now. Sun's starting to come up. It's starting to be dawn. He can start to see a little bit of light in the sky. And all of a sudden it happens. Samuel gets the next voice. You see, God's call comes when we are in our place. God's calls on our life come when we are in our spot. We're doing what we were supposed to be doing. What was his job? His job was to take care of Eli. His job was to take care of the lamps, sweeping the floors, locking the doors. He was the deacon of the, of the church. He goes back to where he's supposed to be that day. He goes back to where he belongs at that time of day, at that time of night. As he lays down there waiting, then in his place he hears it. Samuel! Samuel, when he opens his eyes this time, note what the Bible says. Now the Lord came and stood. This goes from being simply an audible thing to an audiovisual experience. He not only hears him, but apparently he sees him now as well. The Lord came and stood and called out his name, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. This is the beginning of the prophetic priestly ministry of one of the most important people in Scripture. And he almost missed it. If it hadn't been for Eli, I don't know if he'd have, been get, if he'd have gotten it that night. He almost missed it that night. Would God have come back? Probably. But he almost missed it. People are always wondering, how do I know when God's calling me? How do I know when God's, when God's speaking to me? First of all, go about the business that's in front of you. Do the job you've been given. Stay in, that route, stay in that route. Stay on that job until God points you off in another direction. Stay at it until an, op- an opening comes in another direction. Stay at it until God answers a prayer that you've been answering. I was, in our family, we, we, this is a regular thing for us. We pray for God to lead in a specific direction. If He has something for us to do, that He'll direct what we're doing. This week, this week, last week, the last, last little while, 
Two different members of our family got two different answers from God on the same day. One member of our family got the wait. Nobody likes this answer, but definitely got the wait signal. This is not the red light or the green light. It's the yellow light. It's like the, okay, just wait. Wait means something is going to happen. Wait means the light's probably going to turn green, but not now. So wait. The other member of our family got the go for it. I am answering your prayer as fully as you could have imagined and more. One gets the wait. The other gets the go. Hit the gas. And both are equally answers of God. So when you are looking for the call of God, be doing the business that God has called you already to. When you're looking to know the call of God, be doing the business that God has already called you to. And can I just argue that it doesn't matter your age. Samuel's a young guy. Remember Jeremiah saying, hey, I am too young for this job. Do you remember Moses saying, I'm too old for this job. Remember Abraham? I am past the time when this is possible. And so is my wife. We are no longer qualified for the calling that you have on our life. You must be planning on doing this with someone else. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. When God calls, here I am, Lord. Speak. I'm listening. He will speak to you through his word. That wait answer came directly from the Word. He will speak to you through someone else. That go-for-it answer came through another believer. He will speak to you in prayer. And in those rare, 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 very rare occasions, He will speak to you audibly. Be careful if you hear the voice of God audibly all the time. Go see your psychiatrist for a minute. Just check in with them. I'll probably leave that just there. Make sure they're a Christian psychiatrist. Don't go to a psychiatrist who doesn't believe in God. Tell them you're hearing the voice of God. He's just going to have you locked up. So make sure you're talking to a Christian psychiatrist. The voice of the Lord is not a monologue in your ear all the time. The voice of the Lord is typically short, direct messaging for a moment in time. The interesting thing about this is this one kid is how God turns the nation. Right now, I hear two stories being told about our nation. This looks like the end. Could be. There's some real Revelation 13 looking things going on in our world. If you want to see Revelation 13 in more full flower, check out what's going on in China. Where you do have to have a QR code to buy and sell. There's some real Revelation 13 things going on. The other thing that we I hear 
is that America is primed for a revival. That when you say truth is relative for 40, 50 years, eventually people start saying, nah, not really. That was fun to talk about, but it's, I mean, the, the sky is still up in the sky and the ground is still under my feet. There, there's just some things that are true and some things that are not. Come on. And pretty soon people start saying, I need to find where the edge of that whole truth thing is really. What, what is true? See, Pilate's question to Jesus is a very important question in the world. What is truth? And the world right now is really gapping in truth. I, I've told a couple of you, I was at a coffee shop uh, getting ready to do a Bible study. Don't see him. If you're watching on TV, I was getting ready to do this Bible study, and I was I was standing there waiting for my drink to be made, talking to this young lady. She said, "How are you doing?" And I gave her an answer. I gave her the honest answer. This week, I've been kind of trying to answer that question more honestly. And I said, eh, "It's not been awesome." Well, what, why? And I told her. And I gave her some specific answers to this truth is relative business. And she said, yeah, she's 20 maybe. Everybody looks younger than they actually are. She might have been 25. I don't know. She might have been 18. She's a kid. And as, as she answers me, she says, yeah, you know, Everybody seems to be thinking that they're their own truth, that they can make up their own truth, that truth has no anchor. (laughs) You could have knocked me over with a whisper at that moment because I have not had that conversation with someone in her age group who's not a part of our believer group in a long time. And we had a little conversation about it. I was so encouraged That this young lady had that understanding. It gave me hope for the day. Gave me hope. There was some more about the conversation. That's enough of the story for for what I want to tell you. That is, there are people out there who understand that red is not green, purple is not yellow, that these things actually exist in a real world, and that not everything is relative. And so, I don't know which one we're going to have. If it's Revelation 13, bring it on Jesus, I'm ready to go. If it's a revival, bring it on Jesus, let me get in it. The thing that I want to talk about with church, the, thing that, the reason I keep kind of coming back to these people and these ideas, for the last six weeks, this has been just constantly on my heart is that God takes one kid and turns the the whole nation around. What if that kid, what if that middle-aged woman, what if that old man is you? What if you're the Moses that's being called? What if you're the 15 or 16-year-old that's being called? What if the way forward is you? 
What if the way forward is us? Maybe it's not the kids sitting next to you. Maybe it's you and the kids sitting next to you. Maybe it's all of us. Maybe it's the believers of the world speaking to our world the truth of Jesus. What if the direction we're heading in could be altered by the church living faithfully in the way it follows Jesus? What if when somebody met a Christian, they could know where they stood? What if when somebody met a member of Grace Point, they could know that they were, they were founded on Scripture and they were trying to follow it in the best way they could? They were spending their life trying to love God and love people. What if every time somebody in this neighborhood bumped into us, if somebody in your neighborhood bumped into you, they could know. They could, they could be certain. This person will treat me with kindness and love and respect. They will, they will give me the dignity of being a child of God because they believe I am. Our guy Samuel, he makes, he makes a huge turn this day. Can you give me the next slide? This thing apparently is dead. Samuel laid down until morning. He opened the doors to the house of the Lord. That's his job. Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. I want to say that there's a great deal of fear in the church right now. There's a great deal of fear in the lives of believers right now. Because the culture is so opposed to what you believe, we've sort of drawn in and our testimonies have been crowded out of because of the culture we live in. We've been silenced by our culture. Some of you, I know, some of you even get kicked off the internet regularly. Be careful what you say. Sometimes you deserve to be kicked off. But this poor kid goes back to sleep after hearing the message. I didn't read you the message, but the message says, Eli and his kids are done. They're gone. It's going to be so shocking, people's ears will tingle. And he goes, lays down, and waits for morning, afraid to tell Eli what he'd seen. I'm not offering you an easy way forward. It won't be easy. There will be people who will be mad at you for having this opinion those same people may go home and think about it, though. Love God. Love your neighbor. Give the witness of what he's done in your life. Tell people their life will be better if they follow him. Our story ends. All Israel, from Dan to Beersheba. Go back one if you can do that for me. All Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. 
all of Israel. Dan is in the north. It's the place where one of the fullest streams of the Jordan starts to flow through the, the, the countryside and down the Sea of Galilee all the way to the Dead Sea. Beersheba is down in the south at the end of, of, of Israel, at the southern end of Judah, nearly, nearly to e- Egyptian territory. It's bordering the desert. All of Israel knew that God was calling them because of what they learned about this boy. One, one in this case. The whole nation turns. And lastly, one more time. Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. And the Lord let none of his words fall on the ground. Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. And the Lord let none of his words fail. When you are called, the Lord is with you and success is his business. When you and I are called, we join together with God and success is his business. Eli's sons were worthless. God was about to take them and Eli off the circuit. They were done. But God wasn't. The whole country knew that they were worthless. But God wasn't done. I don't know, maybe we're looking for Revelation 13 and we'll see Jesus soon. Maybe we're looking for a reformation in the world and in this country. And thousands, maybe millions of people will be in heaven as a result. Whichever the case, stay about your work and listen for the direction of God. Stay about your work and listen for the direction of God. And if he calls, the promise is you will not go about this alone. And it's his responsibility that you succeed. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are asking for your leadership in this church. We know that we are unqualified. We are ill-equipped. But you are God. Teach us to be faithful in the moment we find ourselves now. To take the steps forward that you call us to tomorrow. And let the results rest with you. Lord, there's a billion Christians in a seven billion dollar or seven billion person world. Call us to one voice. Call us to recognize you. Call us to your word. Lord, there's 25 million Adventists in the world. Call us to faithfulness in following you. Call us to speak as people anchored in your word and in a relationship with you. 
Oh, there's 600 Grace Point folks. Let us be about the business of loving you, loving our neighbor, knowing that we are covered by the blood, and that our testimony can change the world.